Welcome to B2B Tech Mindset, where we explore how technology drives business success. Join us as we discuss the latest software solutions, trends, and strategies that can help you stay ahead of the curve, develop a tech mindset, and learn how to leverage technology for growth in your organization. Welcome to another episode of the B2B Tech Mindset. Today, we have a very interesting topic for your organization if you want to leverage technology, and that is staffing. So what kind of employees, what kind of people, and what knowledge and skills have those people to have if you want to move forward uh, with your business using technology? In regards to staffing, I have an idea that I think is slightly controversial. Slightly. I, I wouldn't say that it's extremely controversial, but but I consider that. So let me let me bring this very quickly to a point. The main idea is that the technology cycles are very short, right? And by the technology cycles being that short, you we are being faced with a fundamental problem. And the problem is that every three, four years, the whole cycle is being resetted. Meaning that if you bring someone who is junior, there is a good chance that in two, three years, if this person is working in this technology continuously, it's going to have a pretty close level to someone who was working in technology for the last 20 years. Let me give you one simple example. We have people working with Kubernetes these days. Almost everyone uses Kubernetes these days. But it's been perhaps five years that Kubernetes became the de facto standard. So it slowly became the de facto standard. I recall when I was still working at Telefonica that Kubernetes was, was beginning. So people were exploring uh, solutions to have orchestration of containers. So it was not established. Right now, being an engineer that uses Kubernetes as their main tool to bring websites up is, is a fundamental skill. It's, like, it's, it's a must. You need to have that if you are working in a professional software uh, web development environment. So it means that the head start that an engineer had that was perhaps working 10 years before containers and Kubernetes in web development is gone after five years. Someone who began five years ago and an engineer that began 15 years ago, today have more or less the same level of skill. Of course, of course, there is skills that they built on top of each other. You know, if you have experience with- You mean, you mean, sorry to interrupt, but you mean technical skill in the new, in the newest thing, in the new technology. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they, so th there are things that never change. There are things that never change in software engineering, for instance, things like software architecture, like mm -hmm. the basics. They are design patterns or uh, network topology. There are certain things that never change. Strategies to make your your uh, online databases, that your, your operative databases uh, to work in a more efficient way. There are things that don't change over time. So you can benefit from that experience if you've been working in that environment for many years. But in general, every five, six years come a paradigm that, that change everything or change in a dramatic way things. So the 15, 20 years experience that an engineer might have is just on paper because in reality, an engineer that only have five years of experience might be really head-to-head -head with someone who has much more time in the industry. Of course, again, architecture, perhaps the basics of computer science, you know, data structure, algorithms, these kind of things, they don't change, they are invariants. This other person might have seen more, might, depends on the industry, but to be honest, more than three years, I don't think is relevant in terms of experience. And why I'm bringing this in this conversation about staffing 
Because many people, when they are trying to hire talent in the space of technology, they are looking for someone who is a super senior. This person needs to have 10 years of experience in technology X. And the question is, do you really need that? Do you really need that knowing that the technology cycles are going so fast? That's that's my main point. That's a, that's the core point of my proposition today. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I have a couple of counters to that. So the first one is your the world you're describing is like you are your company is able or the hypothetical company you're talking about mm -hmm. is able to keep on top of the technology. Uh on the, always use the the latest stuff every two years, like Kubernetes and whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh the reality is once you have something running, a product running, it's very difficult to diverge and incorporate different technologies to that product unless you you have to do it for whatever reason but it's very difficult to change course once the train is running so that's one thing that means that if you back in the day you remember like everybody was doing stuff in php after that the thing was ruby on rails um at the beginning of my work here in germany i was doing like front-end using H, uh, HTML style sheet, which was a technology totally new for me back then, uh, but nobody was using it uh, back in the day. On that change in the same company, that change for a couple of reasons to a different technology. Uh, but usually, if you have a running product, you need people that work in the technology stack that you have, and you need people that have experience with that kind of, of problem, depending on the size of your product. If your product is pretty big, you need people who actually have, can write like solid code that doesn't break every five minutes. Otherwise they cost money. Uh, if you have to reboot the instance every five minutes because it's an error or whatever. So that being, that being said, in those kind of organization, the cycle tend to be a little bit longer. Uh, you mentioned three years, like at the beginning, I will say conservatively five to seven years, you can introduce a new technology or you can change the stack or you can change something in a probe without, it, not without a big investment, it's because they change or, the return that you're gonna get in the change will actually be uh, bigger than staying with the current technology. So that is the question. If making the change to the new technology will make you faster, flexible, or uh, performant, then people will consider to make the change. Otherwise, they will stick to their um, to the old stack on the old product. Uh, they will stay there. So that's one of my contrasts to your theory. In nevertheless, in a very tech company, they will change every three years. That's true. And they will use the latest and greatest for whatever. The question, the question that I have is how defensible the business model is. If the business model of that organization that has a slower modernization cycle than say other technology companies that have a much accelerated, much faster cycle. If, if the business model that they have is defensible, if they have a mode that is defensible, no one can get inside. I have is based on some unique knowledge that I have or some special relationships that I build with my customers or with my partner ecosystem, then I would say, well, yeah, probably, yes. Probably you have the luxury of saying, you know what, I can relax and I want to have an environment that I can make sure that the people that is working in the product, in the technology, stay a long time here and I, I train them over time because, you know, uh, I have a very defensible product in an environment that is not too aggressive. But if that's not the case, 
And I think today we live in a world that we can use this, this phrase of technology, software is eating, is eating all businesses. And mm. if you are in a space that can be disrupted by technology, either because the price point is dramatically reduced, because it's much faster, the results you're getting are much better, for whatever reason, then I do think there is a genuine reason to go to a faster pacing, to a, to a, to a rhythm that is, has a much faster pace. You see it even in the kind of technologies that are arising right now. There's a lot of companies who are heavily investing in DevOps. If you invest in DevOps, it's because you are aware that the release cycles, and this is connected to the conversation we had last week about Agile, mm. it, it's because your release cycles are much shorter. It's because you are aware and you have the, the framework and the platform in place so you can switch technology and you can roll back changes and try new things and, and modify, modify things as they go. So I think in this new environment that software is being built probably makes sense that that old idea that my product is not going to change for the next five, seven years. I mean, I know companies that have software that has been running since the nineties, you know? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I know you, companies you, you can that, only, that make you can really only money. see the, Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. I mean, they're making really great money with software that they wrote in the nineties and that's fine, but it's because they have landed in a niche that they are not visible or again, because they have this mode not because the technology is great, but because they build the relationships, they know the right people, they made the right connections. And then you can say, well, you know, this is feasible. I, I keep my head down and no one knows that I'm making a bunch of money. But if you don't. Well, there, there are a couple of other businesses that they are still using ancient technology. By ancient, I mean really ancient, like, um, uh, Hotel booking system are still running on my friends. Uh, airline software, like booking software, still running on my friends. Bank system, international banking system still runs in, in my friends. But so all those examples, stuff. all those examples have a mode. They have a regulator, regulatory environment. You just cannot make a bank. Or you just cannot build an airport. An airport. <laughs> is, you know, those, those are modes. You can defend that thing. But if you are not in one of those, no, no. But I, I mean, I mean, the software that runs the banks, like deep down, is a one mind frame, like running all the transactions. It could be Cobol or Fortran. Yeah, exactly. Fortran. And, yeah. and then you have someone who can work in the same code base for twenty years. But again, yes, that's possible because banks is a very regulated industry that is not easy to disrupt but most of the business do not operate in those environments that are not easily easily disrupted you know they work yeah. in environments that you can really come with innovation and even in finance you see a lot of people working in fintech trying to disrupt that industry and of course there is the whole limitation of you know regulations and all those things but and then in those environments Especially when they are when new hires are being made with new technologies. I mean, this you see some some companies. I, I recall when we were getting started in the job market. This is, it was very funny because you 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 see that they the technology came about three years ago and still someone is being looked for that has eight years of experience with this. Which <laughs> yeah, basically, <laughs> yeah, which basically shows you that the person who wrote that thing doesn't have a clue about the longevity of the technology, you know, <laughs> and, and that being put aside, you know, that being put yes. aside. Yeah. Uh, well, that is a nice side way to, uh, to hire it since we are talking as staffing. I think we, we took a, a, a weird term like oh, no, to start the conversation, but let's start with hiring, which is the first stuff for, of the staffing. Um, so definitely if you have 
a business, you need to have at least one person who is like taking care of hiring other people for your business. Usually that person should have a set of, of skill, have to know people, have to be able to judge people, have to know the business this is the second one. And also have to know a little bit of what the um, job offer, like what these people will do in the company, or what is at least what is expected from them to when they get hired to do that. Uh, unfortunately, nowadays, at least my experience, all the recruiters that I uh, cross my paths weekly, uh, they have no clue what they are recruiting for. Most of them. Well, they, most of them have a list of keywords. And if one yeah. keyword matches your profile, then they will they will ping you uh, because they are not a specialist in the software industry. I think that's one of the main problems when third-party recruiters, I'm, I'm not batching on them. Some of them are good and some of them take take the time to, to really get to know the candidate and understand what the, the position is. But in general, many of them, what they do is is keyword research. And if they see that you match that, they, they will contact you, which probably, as we were discussing before, we began to record. If you use something like uh, a chat GPT or a GPT model, you might get a much better recommendation and a much better follow-up process uh, using a bot that actually using a, a human, human being, because the bot can have a much better understanding of what do I really need? As a as an employee as an employer employer yeah so yeah. but yeah many many of them just simply go through that process and then the other thing I think one aspect that is important when people is looking for talent is to understand the how immediate they need to have this person to be at full speed mm -hmm. if you have enough time to if you have the luxury to train your employee, then perhaps you might even think if you really want to consider hiring for core qualities and core qualities for me is, for instance, the ability to learn instead of the amount of knowledge this person has. Because if you say, if, if you have the possibility to say, you know what, I can train you and in six months, I need you to be at top speed or at medium speed in six months, then basically it's not that important that you know all the wealth or all the portfolio of technologies that we are using. You can learn, and then I'm only interested for your abilities to learn, but then you will have to come up with a set of tests that measure for that. Yeah. Which yeah. is different from what you usually have in most job interviews that try to cover what you already know. So it's like uh, it's like a catalog. You are being asked catalog questions. Uh, uh, give me, give me, you know, what APIs or what algorithm would you use for these? Or, or then you have yeah. like a like a math trick, you know, or, or some 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 kind of like a, a problem that you have to solve to show yeah, that you, you, you can, yeah a puzzle that will a give puzzle. you a puzzle. Yeah, yeah, you try to solve a puzzle, and and that doesn't show that you can learn really fast. No, it doesn't. It just shows your ability to solve puzzles. It's different. It's a different. Yeah, skill. definitely. It's a different so, skill. Yeah, from from my hands of my experience, like some of the interviews they do where they put puzzles and stuff, it's like it's really BS. <laughs> yeah, and then the other thing that is super important is that if you have time, then the academic background of the candidate is also not that important. Mm, yeah. It's also not that important because I think it was a study, I think it was by Google, I'm not really that sure, that they saw that all candidates tend to perform the same within two, three years in a row, regardless of the school they went to and that's a yeah. really really interesting result I, it will be interesting to find that that and share that link so 
that's that's one part of the question. The other part is, well, if you need the person to be to hit the ground and and run right away, then it's a different situation. But then the question is, why don't you just hire a consultant? Hmm. No, because sometimes it's very hard, very, very hard. Sometimes you spend six months, a year to find a candidate for a role and you have countless job interviews. Whereas if you have a consultant, they just might come to the job, step back. And that's pretty much, that's pretty much it. So I think making the decision in terms of the amount of time that you have until that person can be really up, up to speed is an important component in hiding and how you present the, the position and, and, and how you, you go about to find a, the right candidate. Yeah. Um, on also uh, we are talking about the the interview process. It's like there is no really a way to measure soft skills, like the skill. At the end of the day, you will be working with people, so you don't only need to to be good at your job or your technology or your skills, but you need to have soft skills as as well. So otherwise. Uh, it usually end in a disaster if, if some some part of the team or some in, um, team member doesn't doesn't work well with the rest of the team. In in my opinion, what do you well, think that, about that? Some yeah, things. that's that, that's a, that's a good one because actually there are pretty good uh, psychometric tests to measure that. Now the question there is first in the jurisdiction where your company is, is that legal? Is that, is that okay to run that kind of tests? That's number one and make a hiring decision based on those tests because there are many, there are many components that come now play a role into hiring. And, but there are definitely tests. I, I recall one, there is this website uh, from uh, Ray Dalio. The website is Principles U that if you run that test, and I think it, tends, it takes like 10 minutes, or no, not 10 minutes, but like 30 minutes to run that, that test. And essentially what you get afterwards is a really good profile about what role would you play in a team? Are you the creative? Are you the leader? Are you the person who needs to get instructions, but then follow those instructions to the very detail and then tries to implement the things exactly as they have to be implemented? So there are ways to measure that. And there are also some, some other tests, uh, psychological tests that may measure things like these big five uh, qualities of the personality, personality traits. So there are many tests that can be used. The question is, in your jurisdiction, can you use them? If it's, it's okay in the environment where you're doing it, and then you have the people to apply those tests to your candidates and to really have a, a good feeling for for the, the quality of the selection that was done. Because it's obviously, it's non-trivial to apply one of these tests and evaluate what the result was. That's, that's not a trivial thing. And I think what many people try to do instead is they come to these 360 degrees interviews where you have been introduced to the team. And mm -hmm. so the team tries to get a good impression from you from one, two hours that you talk to them and then you see if it's a feed or not. But to be honest, I don't know how effective, effective that can be because you are not seeing people under pressure and people behave very differently if they know the stakes are high and yeah. or not, you know? So, so that's, that's something that, that is a common practice. It's a common practice to bring people to a to a call and tell them, like, you know what, you know, let's let's have a talk and see how it works and and let's get to know each other. But but it's not, I don't think it's it's really that effective. And then the other thing is that well, you have you have a probation side. At least in, in Europe, you have a probation uh time mm -hmm. that might help you to sort of support or roll back that decision and say, well, you know, you are not really like a good fit. Yeah. the role 
and that and or you identify that you yourself are not the right person for the role so you you decide no you know what this is better to to part ways because because this is not this is not a relationship that is going to work for any of us yeah but, um yeah a company that was working in the past a company doesn't exist anymore uh, we had like one step on the hiring was the beer test Mm. Like uh, so, was the question? I wouldn't like, pass that one. <laughs> no, you you don't actually have to drink beer at all. It's like what's a question would you ask yourself when you're hiring someone? If you will go with this person for a beer after work, mm. if the answer is no, then you should have hired. So, because but, at the end of the day, you're gonna spend more time working in the team that you spend at home with your family probably so it's that was one simple way to see if you like that person if it's like in the same wavelength or whatever then you can hire it if something is not matching 100 then you may reconsider that's that's an interest that's, that's an inter interesting um criteria for for choosing people because Because sometimes there are roles that what you need is competence. Sure. You know, th there are roles where you need competence and you need the best player possible. And then empathy and human relationships play a second role, a secondary role. There are roles in which you need someone who brings energy and brings together the team and place the role of a leader, not, not a manager, but a, but a leader, someone who can uh, motivate, motivate yeah, people, like move the, the people forward. Yeah, exactly. So, but that person might not be the best technically. Yes. Sure. So the question is, what do you need? What do you need for a role? And what can you tolerate? Because this is the same as in physics when you're running an experiment is what is your error tolerance? You know, you know, yeah. you are always going to have error and you know that there's always going to be variance in whatever metric you want to achieve. Now, the question is, what is the amount of tolerance and variance that you are willing to accept, accept. In, yeah. that, in that particular case? And I think for, for hiring talent, that's that's critical but now comes also uh, another component in the equation which is at least in europe and here in germany in particular in particular particularly is that there is uh not that many people so the job market now is 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 a, is a complicated one in technology so there is not an abundance of people willing to take a, a role, especially a technical role with the skills that we need today, mm. that are needed today. So if you are with under those constraints that you don't have a lot of choice to pick from, the question is how do you go about making a decision? And that's why I think in many instances, going after consultants, or contractors that come mm. get the job done and then step back might be a good idea. Yeah, you, but yeah, but only if you have a very clear, defined problem. Like if you are okay, our website is not performing enough in the last months for whatever reason. We have accumulated a lot of data, and now it's not performing enough. For whatever reason, that is a very particular, well-defined problem. For that, you bring a consultant. They investigate. They realize what the problem is. Maybe they have to change some technology behind it. They fix it, and that's it. This a very the scope is is finite. It's defined already beforehand. For those particular cases, having consultants is 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 one of the solutions. Um, no questions about it, but for iterating on creating a stuff, 
continuously, like come up with new ideas about the product, like moving the product forward. If you have a product or, or moving the business forward, if you have a business combination of products and services or whatever, um, a consultant may not be the best solution because they, they, they might not have skin in the game, like you say. Like the, if you have like fixed staff in your business, they have been there for a couple of months at least. They know the people, they know the culture, they like their job, hopefully. So they have a little bit more skin in the game. Like the consultant type is like, okay, I go in, I fix stuff or I do stuff when I go out. So there is no, um, long-term commitment or emotional commitment if you want to call it that way that's true and that's why i was making the differentiation at the beginning that if you are interested in the long-term vision then probably you will want to go for a for a permanent hire if you need to to you know attend a, a pressing problem then then probably you want to go for the fastest solution, which is someone who comes, solves the problem, and then steps, steps back. Yeah. However, however, that being said, there are some organizations that they have managed to build product and even operate product with external resources. You know, it, it, I think... An important part of that is just how disciplined the organization is. You know, if this, yeah, is, you know, I, if, I have it, been in one of those organizations, unfortunately. <laughs> you know, if if it's very disciplined, it can work. I mean, I'm not saying from 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 a business owner, business from from a leadership perspective, sure, when you are sure. running the business, it that might work. The 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 challenge is how do you organize the team so it works in an effective manner that that to me is you know do you have do you have processes that well documented do you insist that documentation is going to be a key a key part of the software that is being produced uh, are we using the standard ways of producing software so people can find themselves in those environments when when new people come afterwards so there needs to be discipline and yeah. they have to be uh, best practices in place to be able to run an operation in that form. But I don't think it's impossible. It's just from a leadership perspective, there is the need to understand that this is what you have to select for. You need to select for people who is highly uh, conscious about how they're building the work and that they are going to make sure that is, is best class possible and that people that come behind it's going to do something with that. Not like one case that I recall someone who didn't want to get fired and then they they named the code. All classes had vegetable names. So <laughs> there was like the tomato class, the orange class. And, and then there was no names that were related somehow with the domain. What the class will do. Yeah. So, and then you need really need the guy because, you know, because no one knew what what onion was and what uh, I don't know what salad he was, was the only one who, who knew the map of the, of the farm exactly so you know <laughs> but that you know, if you want to avoid that you know you have to you know yeah. you have to you need to have certain ethics uh, <laughs> that's a, that's a funny example there's a funny uh, example I also have experience with someone who also make themselves like um how do you say wichtig? Uh, important. Important. Yeah. I might say it's important in the company. It's just to avoid getting uh, layoff later on. But that didn't work pretty well because at some point, like, they weren't that good. So people realized they weren't that good. So they were <laughs> laid off anyway. I mean, the, the you know, this is the, this is the fascinating thing. I... I read a book not long ago. It's uh, the title is Systemology. So kudos for to the author of the book. And this book is thought for organizations that are hundred people and below. So it's not for big organizations. It's hundred 
people and below across all industries you can imagine. Hmm. And essentially the idea is to how you build processes for the whole organization. And the premise, the, the fundamental premise behind the book is that every single person in the organization, beginning with the owner of the organization, beginning with the, the founder of the company, should be replaceable. That's the goal. If you yes. build an organization with, where you have processes documented in a way that everyone can be replaced, then you have found your sweet, sweet spot, you know, the, the holy grail of organizations, because it means that you have is isolated yourself against risks, such mm -hmm. as people leaving positions, a competitor, uh, taking someone from you. So you read, and then you can also, as, as, an, as an owner, you can just step back from business and hire, you know, an external CEO that might do the work for you. And so you can do something else. You can go into a different venture. So yeah. that would be the ideal scenario. Now, as an employee, that sounds a little bit frightened because yes. you know that your services, your abilities can be replaced. You are expendable. You're basically. expendable. But at the same time, if you have been able to build an, a system, an ecosystem and a set of skills that makes you spendable in the long term in the market, that increases your value. Because everyone who is building a team or, or is hiring uh, a workforce, that can really create value for their organization should be looking for people who is focused on creating not only a piece of software or a piece of product, but also delivering the product, the process that might help to actually keep that thing alive, no matter who is operating that piece of software, product, or service. So I think yeah. from that perspective, from that perspective, the ideal will be to hire people who is conscious of this situation and they they want to make themselves expendable. That would be the ideal yeah. thing, in my opinion. At least. Well, it's it's not like they want to make themselves expendable per se. It's more like, um, I mean, that is that's a mindset uh, that you have to have. So that was my mindset. That is still my mindset today. So. I can leave my current company today and tomorrow someone will come and I can be replaced. So that, but that is only my mindset. So most of the people, they don't think that way. They think that they are irreplaceable. So that is basically. At least they I, wish that they were. Yeah, at least they wish that they were, but the truth is that everybody is, is, is replaceable. So. Sometimes some take more work than others. If you don't document your work or you have a lot of, I don't know, so um, internal stuff that no, no people know, but eventually if something happens, you, you are let go, you have to go or whatever, someone will figure it out. So life, life will, it will go on anyway. So it, it doesn't matter. So for me, it's like uh, being transparent uh, as much as I can and do the um, um, the processes and the stuff I do in my day-to-day -day work like uh, without any secrecy or something like that that for me is paramount so I don't I don't care if I, I can be replaced tomorrow uh, when I make sure that I am not replaced tomorrow is that the value that I bring to the company on that is what people should focus in the, the value that you are bringing to your company as an employee. What is the value that you're bringing to your company? Like, are you solving internal conflicts? Like, it's, it's difficult to work with this team or the other team when you are working with them. Or are you generating a lot of ideas or are you simplifying processes or are you coming with solutions? to problems that the company has. So 
that kind of value is what make you irreplaceable. If you have a lot of hidden stuff and nobody knows how you do your thing, at the end of the day, when you are not there, the people you are connecting with will be still there when you can still talk with, with those people and figure out how you were doing stuff. So it's not it's not rocket science. It's, it's not black magic. So people will figure it out at the end of the day. Yeah, people will figure it out, but there, there are different levels of pain. I, I've noticed that when things are well-documented, then those transitions are easier. And especially something that um, I've also noticed is if if everything, like if the processes are clear, it's much easier even if the leadership steps back, which is, is important sometimes that they can just step back. Another thing that is important, and I think in in regards to staffing, especially now that you were bringing that conversation in regards to is people replaceable, not replaceable, that, that you know the the technology cycles that things are changing pretty fast, and you need to adapt to what what is being done is also to hire and if to hire for resilience, and if not hiring for resilience is because might be there's people who has not developed that mental muscle just yet, at least to think in terms of how to improve resilience of the team over time. So, mm -hmm. so that team is able to endure stress and how to manage stress and endurance, how they can go about it without being burnt out because for some people, it's sometimes overwhelming when things are changing pretty fast. And of course, there are companies that they push forward a growth mindset in which people try to learn continuously, but there are many organizations where that's not the case. And people think, well, I can't just stay in my little uh, niche that I master or that I do, and I will do this for the next 20, 30 years. And then suddenly they are being confronted with a sad reality that no, that's not the case. The world is changing pretty fast. And some, especially in the space of technology, it was Satya Nadella who said that uh, this, so this industry, so software does not respect tradition. And and that's that's important to keep in mind. I mean, it's, it's, not, it's not meant with the objective of make people feel depressed or anything, but it's just, this is a very fast pacing, changing environment. And for that, the right mental attitude is necessary. And if, when one is hiding, if one doesn't have the mechanism to measure how resilient, how adaptable to change people is, at least one or organizations should have a framework or a platform that enables people to learn to change and to deal with change in a in a uh, in a way that you know allows them to go through that in the long term, not only in the short term, so they get burned in six months changing things, but in the long term they can still do things and they can still learn new things and they feel motivated and they feel engaged in what they're doing. Yeah, on, as you were saying, like resilience is like um, sometimes it's that I learned in my past companies. Like if you have a team, like don't have only one guy who do all the DevOps or or the architecture or whatever. Like have one main guy and another backup. Like it doesn't have to be as good as the main guy doing architecture or or uh, operations or whatever. But if something happened, like anybody can get hit by the bus tomorrow. So if something happened, you have a backup. Otherwise, if you have only one operations guy in the team or something happens suddenly, that team probably will be set back like a couple of weeks because someone else have to figure out the operations part of the, of, of the, of the process. Uh, in the other hand, if you are able to kind of divide the task, like having the more um, 
capable one doing the main job, but also leaving some tasks to the other, to the second one, then you are in a better, in a flexible position to to overcome any any issue that you may encounter. Yeah, that 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 reminds me also brings me back to the conversation we had last last week regarding agile. Because if you bring certain agile practices, you will, as an organization, you will shield yourself against those changes. If you have, for instance, code reviews, anytime that every anytime that someone makes a a commitment, uh, a commit to your uh, uh, source code base. Uh, code base, then then you will, if you have code reviews in place, if 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 people is doing pair programming. These practices might help you to actually be resilient as an organization, as a team against changes, and then might bring also transparency in terms of, oh, how do we build the software? You know, what, what are the, the hidden components here and there? Why we make this architectural uh, decision when we build this thing? Why we build it this way and not this way? So that helps, but again, all these things imply that you have strong processes in place. It, de it, it demands that you have discipline, that when you have the discipline and you have the processes, then you can, you, you can shield yourself against all these things. And then also as an individual, you know that you can go also to a different organization and then you will thrive because, well, you know all these things and you can help people to level up their game. In, and not, you know, try to be in the little corner, trying to defend. So if if you are, if you're someone who it's been working in an organization where you have all these practices, and then you you switch and you go to a different place where people is trying to defend their little corners, and then then you so you realize pretty fast what is going on there, and then you can make the decision. Well, do I want to play under these rules, or I don't want to run, play on the on the under these rules? So that yeah, I think those are considerations, and it's interesting. Because it's, it's, it's in both directions. So I think in the, in the state of affairs that we have today, companies are not only hiring employees, but also employees are hiring the companies. So it goes yes. in both directions. You know, like you can smell, well, is this the right team that I want to work with? Is this the right technology? Is this just, you know, vaporware? You know, they're trying to paint things nicely. It's like when you see one of these, uh, basically many, many job descriptions out there, whatever you've realized, they're copy and paste. Mm, yeah. They copy and paste. Yeah. And, and the benefits they're being offered, it's just copy and paste. Oh, we have a kicker and we have salad and we have water. Well, everyone has water, salad, and kicker. You know, it's like, how are you differentiating yourself? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like when they write like, ah, uh, you will work in a dynamic environment. Yeah, I mean, what does that they, mean? They, they, don't, mean? they don't have a clue what they are doing. Yeah, what what, what is what is a dynamic environment? I mean, exactly. Dynamic, yeah, dynamic environment is, is a tricky one because they say, well, we are in an agile environment where we are changing continuously and, and we are modifying what we are doing and we are learning in, in an incremental manner. Well, perhaps that's a good thing. If we are in a dynamic environment, and by that you mean that there's no vision. Exactly. <laughs> and like the boss came come every week on Monday with a new idea, and then the <laughs> yeah. So the, what, what do you mean? It's like, well, do you have do you have a vision? You know, if, if there's a vision exactly. in place, then everything is good. If there's not a vision in place, oh. So I, yeah. I think that's that's something that that is important also for people who is. Um, looking for for expanding their careers that they know that you know uh you yeah also... unfortunately you only know that by experience like uh you can recall pretty sure you can recall the good experience you have and the bad experience you have in the in the companies you have worked with uh but uh, that is knowledge that you gain after the fact because when you go to an interview i don't know like Nowadays, the interview can be like, you can do like three, four hours interviews, like between telephone, on-site or online on uh, exercise or whatever, depending on the role. Uh, you can do like three, four hours interview. 
but after three, four hours, you have no idea what you are going to encounter when you enter there. So it's, it's, it's a gamble always. Yeah. And, and I, I think to the intuition of what you are going to encounter improves over time, but yes. you need a lot of pain to, to understand what are you going to encounter? Yeah. I, th I think that's, that's the key thing is, is, it's not that it's impossible to predict. And this brings me to one another interesting subject that, again, depends on jurisdiction, which is with your workforce and with hiring, how do you use uh, analytics and statistics in order to improve how they work? And, and I've seen that, you know, again, this is, goes back to the idea that we were discussing before. You, you develop an intuition on how things are going to uh, play out mm. and the same thing happens for the organization and happens for, for happens for management if you have enough data of what people is doing and you are in a jurisdiction where that is allowed then you can leverage that and then you can predict how people is going to perform over time because at the end of the day human beings are predictable in their behavior so that's something that i see underuse in many cases i've been in places where there have been uh, attempts to to leverage a more kpi driven approach to how people work and i think it can even help people like if you have some sort of gamification mechanism that allows you to move toward your goals in a in a game like that can be beneficial in the work environment and on top of that, to understand where you can improve, what are the kind of roles where you do not, do not thrive? Because there might be roles within a certain company that you don't thrive in, but there might be yeah. other roles that you thrive. And then if you have an objective way to measure why you thrive in, what the problems are, what can you improve, then I think that can help everyone. But I don't see that measurement of performance as a, as a wide uh, no wide use no. uh trend i don't see that no well the classic the classic one is like you have goals yearly goals that are set by your manager or your organization or whatever and then you see it like once a year and you review your goals if you meet your goals or not meet your goals and what percentage and what happened or what not uh but that's all um, the goals can be can be pretty granular, like uh, releasing feature X by this year, or a mentorship of the junior developers, or whatever. The goals are are pretty much free text that you can put in, uh, but they should have a, a way to to measure the success of the failure of the goal. But basically, that is all. When again, that's happened once a year mostly or or not at all uh, in most of the cases i guess that's a, that's an interesting thing with the with the goals is i think it's a double edge uh sword because i was i was reading not long ago about um one one study that they found that there was these children in a school and they were drawing so there was a huge class of children and they were all drawing and then uh as in all good studies, they had a, 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 a treatment group and they had a control group. And then mm. the treatment group was, be, was was given rewards when they were doing these drawings. So they were given, I don't know, like a candy or they were doing given something, whereas the other kids were given nothing. And what happened was that when in the in the treatment group when when they stop giving these rewards either candy or verbal rewarding saying you did a good job or whatever it is for what you're doing they stop drawing and the interesting thing is that at the beginning they were absolutely motivated about going about drawing but then when the motivation became the drawing part the kids, you know, when, when they got rewarded 
by drawing, then they got they lost the interest, whereas the control group kept drawing. And that's an important thing to keep in mind in terms of rewarding and in terms of having metrics to measure how you perform. Because if you reward people and suddenly you give the next time the same reward, you know, we have these dopamine peaks and then people begin tolerant to that mm -hmm. dopamine level. If you don't give them a reward or you give them the same reward, people, people might have the tendency to lose interest. And the question yeah. is, do you want to have an organization? Do you want to have a team that you are that you have to incrementally, you know, increase your their motivation, yeah. the motivation, the reward with external factors, or which is the other alternative that they find motivation in the pride of accomplish accomplishing things. We which, are doing some. Yes, yes, which is, in my opinion, from my experience. It's not hard to do, like to motivate a team to do a good job is not that hard in my in my experience. It's not that hard. You can do that like pretty easy. It, it takes a couple of soft skills and other skills to do that, but it's, it's easier that uh, people may think. And those are those things that are motivated that way, like, Hey, we're doing a very cool job in a very cool product and we're doing crazy stuff and we're having fun doing it. That environment, people are motivated. If you have a different environment than that where people are not motivated, it doesn't matter if you bring ice cream every day to the office when you go all like dish by dish, like, that can be novel the first day, but the second week, everybody, the second week, everybody will say, "Oh, ice cream again." Yeah, it's normalized. Know. It's normalized, exactly. and then, and then, normalized. and then, dopamine. I mean, this is something. I think that's 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 something important to understand the 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 mechanisms, the the neurological mechanisms, and the psychological mechanisms of mo motivation. Mm -hmm you need to have a good understanding to have a team that is truly motivated because you might have a strong vision for a product, but if you don't communicate that in a, in a way that resonates with your team and that also leverage all these neurological mechanisms and all these psychological mechanisms and also understanding within your team. And this is another component that is super, super important uh, to have diversity. And I don't want to go too crazy in that uh, topic, but that's also to understand that everyone have different triggers. And so the way you motivate different people depends on their different psychological profiles. So to have an understanding that not everyone is going to be absolutely fired if someone stands there and makes a, a call for, for war, and then go and battle the competition. Some people yeah. might be triggered by that, but some people might not be triggered. They might be even appalled by that. They say, no, that's not the kind of environment I want to work that's, in. Exactly, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, so so that's, I think that's uh, that's something that is important to keep in mind. And it's, it's an indirect way of leveraging technology because usually when we think about technology, we think about silicon and, mm. and PCs and things, but, leveraging psychology leveraging neuroscience and and doing things with you know trying to achieve better results by by using uh, these tools is something that definitely is part of staffing and how we motivate people how we make them uh, help them make their best work yeah uh, your light went off yeah but that happens at 11 30. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I I think that is a good segue to like like your your apartment is saying you to go to sleep. <laughs> I think we can we can wrap this up. We yeah, we can we can wrap this up. I mean, that was a sign. Probably one gods. hour or something. There was a sign of yeah. the gods. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> at this time, at this time, everything turns off, and I'm supposed to begin to wind down. And yeah. And I, that's why I have red lights. That's why lately I have red lights. It's just to help. Yeah, to I know, I know. But the white lights doesn't help. They do not yeah. help. So that was our 
episode about staffing. I hope you have learned something. If you didn't learn anything, at least you will be entertained. I don't know. We hope. Um, just write your comment, like, um, recommend us to your friends that may want to know about this kind of stuff. On, I guess uh, we see you next week. Yeah, see you next week. See you then. Bye.